I am constantly amazed at the ability for ordinary moments to break forth God's glory. For God to take these ordinary moments and show the divine in this natural world. I have a a guilty pleasure of uh, watching superhero movies. Um, And in one of those movies, there's this superhero. It's it's the movie uh, Deadpool. I can say that in this service. Uh, No children should see it. It is not an appropriate movie. However, uh, in that movie, there's a superhero named Colossus who's trying to convince this anti-hero, this guy who's sort of good but not really, to be a better person. To be, to rise to a being better. And Colossus says to him, four or five moments. That's all it takes to become a hero. Everyone thinks it's a full-time job. Wake up a hero, brush your teeth a hero, go to work a hero. Not true. Over a lifetime, there are only four or five moments that really matter. Moments when you're offered a choice to make a sacrifice, or conquer a flaw, or save a friend, spare an enemy. It's in these moments everything else falls away. Now, if you know that movie, it doesn't end the way Colossus wants it to. Deadpool is an anti-hero, and he wouldn't be an anti-hero if he listened to him and rose to the occasion. But that doesn't make Colossus's point any less true. It only takes ordinary moments to make a change that just might impact the world. There are some people I've gotten to know who, simply by luck who have taken ordinary moments in their everyday life of work and made something amazing out of them. There's, there's a middle-aged man who worked for a major health insurance company who rose through the ranks slowly, and he tells the story that there was this one day he was sitting in a boardroom with other people who worked there, and they were debating certain diseases and procedures and whether or not what they should do about them. And at this point in time, there was no law requiring them to be covered. And he stood up and said, we have to cover this because it's the right thing to do, even if we don't have to. That decision, that moment, that ordinary moment made an impact on people's real lives that that person will never meet. Or I was in college and a friend of mine took her ordinary resources and turn them into something awesome. In college nowadays, uh, when you go to college, they have these meal swipe programs where they give you a card and you swipe and you get your meal. And you have so many of those for the entire semester. And at the end of the semester, they all get zeroed out. And so this friend of mine decided that she was going to take her extra meal swipes at the end of the semester and get food to go. And she took it into Monroe Park and passed it out to the people who didn't have something to eat. 
And her action encouraged her friends, myself included, to do the same. And so for the last couple of weeks of every semester, we spent our extra meal swipes so that we could spread food out to people who didn't have it. She took her ordinary resources of meal swipes and made it into something more. This wasn't a particularly generous act. It didn't cost us anything more than our college tuition. We didn't pay extra for it. But we took what we had, our normal, ordinary, everyday items, and made something out of them. This was a ministry of simplicity that took the ordinary things and allowed God's kingdom to shine through them. And our scripture today is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. We're in chapter 4, and all that's happened up to this point is we've been told Jesus' lineage. That's chapter 1. That's the whole thing. It's awesome. Then we have the story of Jesus' birth and the Magi visiting. And then he uh, becomes a refugee and flees to Egypt and then comes back. And then we have this big break of time where we have no idea what happened. And then Jesus gets baptized by John. And right after his baptism goes into the wilderness. And then at the end, when the angels are waiting on him, that's where our story picks up. Jesus hears that John has been arrested. And John's ministry has been ended. And so Jesus begins his ministry. And he begins it with this proclamation. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, I don't know what your experience with those words are. My experience was having people yell at me to repent or I'm burning. Walking on campus, they would yell from their bullhorns. And so that word hurts me, and, and, and it would be better translated, change your mind for the better, because the kingdom of God has come near. It's not some, when Jesus says it, it's not some condemnation that you are totally evil and you need to change all your ways, although I do believe in total depravity. It is a recognition that we have to make a change of our mind for the better and do something different. This is when Jesus makes that stand. And and the verse there has come near. This means that the kingdom is already here. It's not coming later. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It's here. It's now. This is when Jesus first utters that mantra and begins to recruit his disciples. And I have to admit, I'm, I'm very confused by how this whole disciple recruitment process goes down. A, a typical rabbi follow, gathering disciples would have been very educated, and they would have the most educated people come and basically 
audition or an interview to become disciples of that rabbi. And they would, uh, the rabbi would ask them questions, and depending on how the disciple, uh, the want-to-be disciple, would respond, they would either be said, yes, come and fo-, the rabbi would say, yes, come and follow me, or would say, go back home and practice the trade of your father. And so that's not how this story goes down, though. The disciples don't approach Jesus. Jesus approaches the disciples. And not only that, they aren't highly educated individuals. They are the most ordinary of professions. If you live on the Sea of Galilee, one of the most normal things you could possibly imagine running into is people fishing on the sea. And so he picks this very ordinary thing to let the reality of the divine breaking through be shown. And I'm sure you've heard plenty of sermons that talk about this. And this is about where I expect you to check out and maybe pass out. But I want you to imagine with me, what would it be like if Jesus were calling someone today? What ordinary thing What is the most ordinary thing that Jesus would come to? I don't think he'd go to the seminary and say, Hey, you, you seem to know a lot. Come and follow me. It would be something so ordinary. Maybe maybe it would be Jesus at the bank and seeing people in line there to deposit checks saying, I see you all know the importance of saving for your future. But follow me and I will show you how to save your future from yourselves. Or maybe cashiers at an ordinary store in all of our experiences of shopping. You can find the value of everything for sale, but I will show you the value of each other. Follow me. Or at gas pumps. Here you are filling up your car with fuel. Allow me, follow me, and I will show you the source of all energy that never needs a refill. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He is taking the most ordinary things and using them to invite in the divine. Jesus sees the fishermen and says, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. It sounds almost like a bad pickup line to me. And I know that pickup lines, little lines of puns, don't work. So why does this short invitation to these guys cause them to immediately drop everything and follow? It amazes me that they just leave it all behind. Their family. Everything. Clearly, to everyone else at this situation, this is the dumbest decision these guys have ever made in their lives. They have one brief encounter with Jesus who hasn't really done anything at this point. They haven't witnessed a miracle. And they just drop everything and follow him. These people must look totally illogical to everyone around them. 
They must look devoid of all rational thought. Because clearly, they don't know what they're doing. Or they wouldn't be doing it. And I think that's how we look to a lot of people in this world. I know that there have been tons of people who try to defend belief in God as this rational, logical arguments. But so many people in this world hear those arguments and say there is no argument that can be made that will make their faith seem rational to them. We look foolish to them. But I, for one, am okay with that. I say let's embrace it. I don't care if it's irrational to believe in something that can't be measured because I, for one, have felt the presence of God and I will bear witness to the power of God to take the ordinary and make it more. I don't care if it's irrational and my brain tells me this can't be real because I remember those moments in my life where the impossible actually happened. And I can never be the same. In fact, I'll flat out admit it. I personally don't find any argument for the existence of God compelling. And so if my faith is irrational, I don't care. Because I love that I have my faith and that I will continue to bear witness to the power of God and the reality that I have felt. Because it would be irrational to ignore my own experience. If it isn't logical, God still takes the ordinary to bring the divine into this world. My favorite quote about this is by Blaise Pascal. He said, The heart has reasons which reason cannot know. And it's because of this faith that we're all called to take our ordinary lives and use them to bear witness to God in this world. We don't have to be sitting on some powerful board or have meal swipes that aren't used or be a lawyer or a doctor or a reverend, we just have to be ourselves and look for that ordinary thing that's in us that God wants to take and use to reveal the gospel to others. I served a church in Michigan, and there was this older gentleman who had heard a sermon that called people to find what within them could be used for God. And so he set up this meeting with the pastor, and the pastor and he were talking, and the pastor started with, well, what are you passionate about? What are your interests? What do you find your identity in? And the man thought and responded. He was retired, and he said, I love to fish. He was a fisherman. And so they thought, how can we use that to that ordinary thing, to make it more. And so he took that idea and decided to start a mentoring program where people would teach younger kids how to fish. And then he created this tournament, a fishing tournament for kids on Lake Superior. 
And then he got sponsors for the tournament. And then after a while, he had enough money, he started making scholarships for the people who participated in the tournament that helped kids go and get a higher education, all because he took his ordinary love of fishing and let God do something more with it. So what is the ordinary thing in your life that God is just waiting to take hold of? Where is that ordinary, regular life peace where you can take it and bear witness to the reality that the kingdom of God has drawn near and is here? What's the ordinary thing that you love that can show others a glimpse of God? Amen.